0: The epistle for this 17th Sunday after Pentecost is taken from St. Paul's letter to the Ephesians. Brethren, I, a prisoner in the Lord, beseech you that you walk worthy of the vocation in which you are called, with all humility and mildness, with patience, supporting one another in charity, careful to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace, one body and one spirit, as you are called in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is above all and through all and in us all, who is blessed forever and ever. Amen. Please stand for the gospel. The gospel is taken from the 22nd chapter of the Gospel of St. Matthew. At that time, the Pharisees came to Jesus, and one of them, a doctor of the law, asked him, tempting him, Master, which is the great commandment in the law? Jesus said to him, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with thy whole heart and with thy whole soul and with thy whole mind. This is the greatest and the first commandment. And the second is like to this. Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. On these two commandments depends the whole law and the prophets. And the Pharisees being gathered together, Jesus asked them, saying, What do you think of Christ? Whose son is he? They say to him, David's. He says to them, How then does David in spirit call him Lord, saying, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit on my right hand until I make thy enemies thy footstool. If David then call him Lord, how is he his son? And no man was able to answer him a word. Neither dared any man from that day forth ask him any more questions. Please be seated. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen. My dear faithful, every once in a while, it is important for us to get back to first principles, for us to kind of remind ourselves again why we are here on this earth, what we are doing and where we are going in our life. It's good for us to get back to those first questions that we learned when we were taught the catechism. We all know these, these questions, I think. Who made me? God made me. Why did he make me? God made me to know him, love him, and serve him in this life, and to be happy with him in the next. And Perhaps we could add another question that is, that is answered by our Lord in today's gospel. How much do I have to love God? You have to love God with your whole heart, and with your whole soul, and with your whole mind. This is what we believe as Catholics. That this is the meaning of our existence, that we are made for God and God alone. That is the purpose for us being here on this earth. Really, truly, God is meant to be our first and our primary love above all other loves. Our Lord doesn't say, love your God with three quarters of your heart. And the other quarter, well, you can love whatever you want with that other quarter. No, he says, you must love your God with your whole heart. And if we accomplish nothing else in this life, we have to accomplish that. If we truly believe that that is our purpose in life, that that is our ultimate goal, that is what we are made for, then we really have to take the means necessary to attain that goal. We have to foster in our soul a certain virtue which inclines us, to give worship to God. And it's maybe strangely called the virtue of religion. There's a virtue called religion. And as I say, this is the virtue that inclines us to give to God what is due to him as his creatures, to really give to him our whole heart, our whole soul, our whole mind. How inclined are you on a regular basis to pray, to meditate, to Go to Mass. Do you like coming to Sunday Mass? Or is it something you just do because it's like you're supposed to do it? I'm a Catholic, and I'm supposed to go to Mass on Sunday. Do you spontaneously take time out to pray? Or do you just do your routine prayers? In short, do you have a religious soul? Do you have one of those souls that habitually is inclining itself towards God, wants to move towards God, give homage to God, Because this virtue is so important, I just want to spend some time today speaking about how to foster that virtue. How can we be fervent as Catholics? How can we have these religious dispositions in our soul? I want to mention one major obstacle to us having a religious soul, and then some practices that we can observe in order to foster that virtue of religion well, the biggest obstacle to the spirit of religion in our soul is the spirit of the world. To the degree that we are worldly, that we have the spirit of the world, to that degree, we do not have the spirit of, of religion because the two are diametrically opposed to one another. The world is rooted in this earth. It's, it's always overvaluing material things. It's always pursuing self-interest. While the spirit of religion is is the opposite, it's rooted in pursuing the life of heaven. It's always treasuring spiritual things, not material things. It's always pursuing the interest of God, not the interest of self. And we're kind of at a disadvantage today because our world has become so secularized. The world has always been worldly. The world will always be worldly. But somehow today, the world is more worldly than ever. It's so worldly. As I say, our, our world has become secularized. It's placed the interests of the world as the primary and, and really only goal to be pursued. And there's two aspects of, of today's worldliness that I would like to point out as particularly dangerous, particularly liable to sort of suck out of our soul the love and the savoring of spiritual things. The first thing is, is the spirit of independence from God that is really part of the air that we breathe today. Our secular democracies are built on the idea that we can live our lives and we can design our societies without any reference to God whatsoever, and everything will be perfectly fine. That really, we don't need God. God is kind of an option for individual people and for society. We are in basically corporately, nationally, living a lie, the idea that humans have no need of God, that humans owe nothing to God. This is how our societies are designed today, the secular democracies that exist around the world. And, I mean, to be honest, I I don't think that that idea as a political idea really takes root in us too much. I I don't think we're convinced that that is, is the way to go. I mean, I think all of us, when, whenever politicians mention God or whenever there's reference to um, the, the sort of godly aspects of, of our country that we have in God we trust on our coins, or we mention God in our Pledge of Allegiance, we, we are all for that. We're not convinced that having a godless society is the way to go. What is more dangerous is the way the spirit of the world incarnates itself in the world of entertainment. The world of entertainment is like the liturgy of a secular democracy. It's, it's a way to convey that spirit of independence from, from God in, in a way that is extremely practical. And as you know, the entertainment industry has managed today to infiltrate our lives in a very invasive way. So that, that, the, the media, has an amazing efficacy to secularize us as Catholics through the news, through the the music, the movies, other videos we may watch. And especially what, what they are trying to do is separate a, a, us from the reality that God has created and project a different reality. This is the danger of the power of today's media it's able to create a purely artificial reality, one that does not actually exist. And to the degree that we believe in that reality that we're seeing on the screen, we find it more difficult to live in the actual reality that God created. They tend to project before our eyes um, scenarios of people who live their lives in total independence from God, and they seem to be having a great time and be totally satisfied. With their lives, and and this is this is just not real. No, no human being can live independently from God and be happy in their lives. But we get the impression, with the media that has fed us, that it's really quite natural to live without thinking about God at all, and to live in a state of independence from God. I'll just give you one little example of that. I happened to watch a movie over the summer. And this movie is more directed towards teenagers, and it was taking a dystopian novel that was very popular called Hunger Games, um, in which you have a society where a certain region of the country uh, managed to subdue rebellions in, in other parts of the country and um, was now controlling the whole country. There's 13 districts, and the one district was controlling the other districts, and because it had restored peace in the nation it wanted to have a tribute be made by the other districts every year in which they would offer a boy and a girl a teenage boy and a girl to the the capital um to participate in these games where where everybody has to kill everybody else and and only one is left standing at the end and what really struck me as as i was viewing this this movie is is that these these children um were really going through the most traumatic experiences that that any of us could face in this life um where you you pretty much know you're going to die i mean the chances are you're going to die you're facing death and, and really a, a a terrible death um and you're you're going to have to be you're going to be asked to actually kill other human beings and there's a really really terrible um situation but not a single one of of these young men and women at any time in the movie makes any reference whatsoever to god none of them ever praise to god to to strengthen them or praise to god to to help them do what is right or praise to god to ask god that he do justice by them that they're suffering innocently that this is not fair there's no reference to god whatsoever and this was particularly striking at, a, at one moment when, in the midst of the games, the youngest of them all, um, a 12-year-old girl, is dying in the arms of, of the heroine. And this girl does not cry out for God. She's not thinking about her soul. All she does is ask the heroine to sing her a song about going to sleep underneath a willow tree. That's all she does. Well, my dear faithful, this is not the way humans act. This is not the way that we are made. This is not how we should act. Yet this is often how movies portray people. As if we just, naturally speaking, don't think about God. No, we are thinking about God a lot. Even, even if you're an atheist, even the atheists of this world are thinking about God an awful lot. And for them to portray human beings going through the, the most momentous incidents of their whole life and not thinking about God is false. It's a false reality. It's not real. The second aspect of worldliness that I would like to point out as, as sort of sapping our spirit of religion is sensuality. You know, I've, I've spoken about sensuality on many occasions, but here I just want to point out how sensuality weighs down our soul. and makes it difficult for it to rise above material things. Sensuality materializes us and makes it so difficult for us to see a supernatural goal, a heavenly goal, see the value of spiritual goods. And when you live in a world such as our own, that is addicted to sexual pleasure, that tries to make cars and homes and and clothing that are like super comfortable, as comfortable as possible. That just offers us all manner of food and drink that is that is tasty and nice. That's really constantly trying to immerse us in material things and sees us as just like a consumer of, of material products, as a purchaser of material things. When you have such a world, it makes it a lot more difficult to foster in your soul that religious spirit, to have habitually in your soul this sense of the supreme importance of spiritual things above material things. And so this is why it's it's so important for us to have a frequent and voluntary recourse to the practices of our faith, these very powerful spiritual practices that are offered to us as Catholics, that, that truly do spiritualize us, that truly do give us the spirit of our religious souls. Those same practices that throughout the ages have enabled so many uh, Catholics to lift themselves up above the spirit of the world and, and really attach themselves to God as their primary good. We have to make use of, for instance, the sacrament of confession, where we go in, we we kneel down and we, we speak to God about how we've offended him. We profess our dependence upon him. We tell him we're sorry for the wrongs we have committed against him. We have need of this traditional mass, which which really does such a wonderful job of placing in our mind an attitude of reverence towards our creator that, that really speaks to us of the transcendence of God, of the reality of spiritual things. We take this hour and a half, and we do nothing worldly during this time, at least once a week. We're completely divorced from material things, that while we're here, we're somehow not on this earth, but, but we are wholly focused on the things of heaven. Our prayers, our meditations, our spiritual reading, our daily rosary, all of these things, they must find a place into our life so that we, we are able to, to sort of check our pulse periodically and see, do I have this disposition towards God? Do I want to worship Him? And something I also want to mention that's, that's, that's important. And I think you appreciate because you're here at a, at a sung mass. And that is the music of the church. The music of the church is so important for us to foster A religious spirit, in our soul. Probably all of you have your favorite genre of music, what have you. Hopefully it's good music. Probably a fair number of you sing along to your your favorite songs. But we must love the music of the church because the music of the church makes us fervent. If we love it, if we sing along with it, It's interesting how St. Paul went out of his way on a couple of occasions to encourage Catholics to to sing. To give you one example, later on in this epistle of Ephesians that we read from today, he says, just in this whole context of of the discussion of the spirit of religion, be you filled with the Holy Spirit, speaking to yourselves in psalms and hymns and spiritual canticles, singing and making melody in your hearts to the Lord. You remember it wasn't too long ago when, when I got here that, that, we only had one Mass on the Sunday. And, and it was just the sung Mass. Everybody had to come to the sung Mass. There was no other option for, for people. And, I mean, now we, we have the, the two Masses, so the, the low Mass at seven and the, and the sung Mass at nine. So, so those who are here at the nine o'clock Mass are here voluntarily. They made the choice to, to be at this Mass. And sometimes, you know, when you talk to priests, they, they kind of, one of the, the means they use to measure the fervor of their parish is by how many people come to the sung mass versus the low mass, because the sung mass objectively is uh, a more fervent worship. Um, it, it, it speaks more to that disposition of of the spirit of religion in the soul than the low mass does. And, well, when I try to see how, how we're doing here, I, I mean, for some respects seems like we're doing all right. Another respect, maybe not, not so good. Last, last Sunday, two-thirds of the parish, um, attended the, the sung Mass. There was about 470 people at Mass. Two-thirds attended the sung, which I think is good. I think that's quite good. At the same time, if you remember in August, there was, we had one Sunday where there was, there was just one Mass. We were back to that, just that one Mass on August the 15th. Um, and only 344 people came to mass on that day, when there was, there was just one mass. Next Sunday, there were 525 people at mass. There was 180 more people at mass the following Sunday, um, when there were two masses. The low mass was available again. Um, what I worry is uh, above all is that is that some people, well, since we now have these two masses, might choose to go to the low mass exclusively, and therefore they they never come into contact with the chant of the church, with the music of the church. You're never building up their soul through this contact with with the wonderful Gregorian chant um, that's, that's sung by our scola, the wonderful polyphony that they sing. But the general point, my dear faithful, is that we have to constantly be looking for ways to increase our fervor. We have to constantly re-enkindle our fervor, uh, make sure that, that there is in our souls this spirit of religion, this disposition, to worship God. Every single one of us is meant to love God with our whole heart, with our whole soul, and with our whole mind. We must be careful not to let the atheistic spirit of the world that we live in influence us to try or to pine after a life that's lived in total independence from God. We must be careful not to let the the sensuality of our world weigh us down, making it so difficult for us to perform spiritual acts. We we must want to foster in our soul through our Catholic practices the same dispositions that were present in the soul of of the Most Blessed Virgin Mary, who had the most religious soul possible for any creature, habitually always inclining herself towards God, wanting to worship him in everything that she did. Let us go to her especially today, ask her to foster in our souls the spirit of religion, to help us have in our heart um, that same dispositions that she had in her immaculate heart so that we can truly love God with our whole soul. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen.